Our God is with you. And also with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. Peter came up and asked Jesus, When a sister or brother wrongs me, how many times must I forgive? Seven times? No, Jesus replied, not seven times. I say seventy times seven. That is why the reign of God may, may be said to be like a ruler who decided to settle accounts with the royal officials. When the audit was begun, one was brought in who owed ten million dollars in silver. As the debtor had no way of paying, the ruler ordered this official to be sold along with family and property in payment of the debt. At this, the official bowed down in homage and said, I beg you, your highness, be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with pity, the ruler let the official go and wrote off the debt. Then, when that same official went out and met a colleague who owed the official $20 in silver, the first official seized and throttled this debtor with the demand, Pay back what you owe! The debtor dropped to the ground and began to plead, Just give me time and I will pay you back in full. But the first official would hear none of it, and instead had the colleague put in debtor's prison until the money was paid. When the other officials saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and went to the ruler to report the entire incident. The ruler sent for the first official and said, You worthless wretch! I canceled your entire debt when you pleaded with me. Should you not have dealt mercifully with your colleague as I dealt with you? Then in anger, the ruler handed the official over to the torturers until the debt had been paid in full. The one who sent me will treat you in exactly the same way, unless you truly forgive your sisters and brothers from the heart. The Gospel of Jesus. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, seventy times seven times. That's four hundred and ninety. <laughs> so that means I can quit forgiving Bob once he hits four hundred and ninety-one transgressions. A little late. <laughs> After that, forget it. Until then, I have to forgive from the heart, or else I'll get what that guy in Jesus' parable got. I guess I'd better do it. Or else. Those are just some silly thoughts that a biblical literalist might ponder. Seven is a symbolic number in the scriptures. It means thoroughness, or completeness, or perfection. Forgive until it's totally done. 
That's a lot to ask. Impossible, we might say. Now Mark and Luke don't have this story in their Gospels. It's only in Matthew. So what I want to know is, what was going on in Matthew's community? Were those folks world champions at holding on to a grudge? What kind of conflicts made Matthew decide to write this parable? A parable that threatens the unforgiving with torture. And forgiving only because you're forced into it. How can that be from the heart? How can we call that forgiveness at all? How can that be a 70 times 7 kind of forgiveness? It's pretty clear what I don't like about this parable. It suggests that there is a mean old man in the sky who will severely punish me if I don't forgive. When the truth is, I punish me when I don't forgive. And I don't like that the story is only in Matthew. Surely forgiveness was a pastoral problem in the communities of the other gospel writers. Indeed, it's a universal issue, a concern that baffles many of us today. After many years of hearing confessions and doing pastoral counseling in a variety of settings, I've listened to the pain of people struggling with the wrath and anger mentioned in our first reading. They do not want to be among the ones who hug their bitterness tight and won't let go of the desire for vengeance. They know they're supposed to forgive from the heart, but they have been wounded so profoundly that they see no way out. No doubt you have heard such stories as well, and you have tried to help. No doubt many of you have lived such stories. I'm sure that many of you have found yourselves overwhelmed by the seemingly impossible task of forgiving some severely horrible wrongs that have nearly broken your hearts. So today I'm tackling this universal pastoral problem. I'll tell you what I think may be helpful. But you have had experience in this. You have had to find strategies yourselves. And I hope that in our post-sermon discussion, you will share some of, some of them. What works? Let's start by acknowledging that we have been wronged. Everyone here has been abused emotionally, physically, some of us can even say sexually. We have been lied to, stolen from, manipulated, ignored, abandoned, insulted, excluded, shunned, and shamed. Sometimes, even by church officials. That really hurts. I would be embarrassed to admit to some of the mistakes I have made in my pastoral ministry. I think about them often and pray for a healing of any harm I have caused by those mistakes. Some of us have stories of being thrust into grief by the cruelty or thoughtlessness of others. When I was 11, my 18-year-old brother was killed in an accident caused by a drunk driver. I'll never forget the intense sobbing of my mother and my feelings of helplessness as I tried to comfort her. You can't bypass the pain. You just have to go through it. It's part of the process of forgiving. How I often wish there were a shortcut. 
Facing the fact that you have been wronged is a start. But for some I have counseled, that's as far as they are willing to go in the process. Some, in their denial, claim to have forgiven because they say the words, I forgive you, as if that completed the process. But forgiveness is not a pronouncement. It's a way of life. To be from the heart, it has to be a, a state of mind, a habit, an energy of love, a salve that you never stop applying, not just to the offender, but to yourself, realizing your own wish to be forgiven. Anger is a normal part of, of the process. Forgiveness is not pretending that you're not hurt, and it's all right. The offense is not all right, and you have a perfect right to be angry. But being angry and being unforgiving are not the same thing. Like your pain, your anger can't be bypassed if you truly want to forgive from the heart. You have to be honest about it and face up to it. But the problem with wrath and anger is, as the author of our first reading put it, we sometimes hug them tight as though they can comfort you and not the kindness you give yourself. Another piece of pastoral advice that I've always found helpful is this. Don't make excuses for the offender. If only I had been more patient, he wouldn't have hit me. Or she was just having a bad day. There are reasons for that person's behavior, but they are reasons, not excuses. Excusing is not forgiving anyway. It's just brushing the offense aside, trying to minimize its effect on you. I composed these reflections with a particular famous and influential person in mind. I won't name him, but I bet some of you are thinking of the same person and wondering how he could be forgiven. This is a person who has, in my mind, at least one obvious personality disorder. Such disorders are coded along with developmental disorders in diagnostic assessments. It means that those who are like that famous person who are severely narcissistic or sociopathic are developmentally stuck in that unhealthy state the way some autistic children are stuck with a limited range of emotions. They are stuck. The bottom line is this. Sometimes those who wrong us are not well enough psychologically, developmentally, to do otherwise. That's often a hard fact to accept, but it's true. And we would be better off not expecting healthy behavior from unhealthy people. This does not excuse them or absolve them of their offenses, but it makes it possible to understand their flaws a little better. When they lie, like that famous person, when they are exceedingly selfish, when they steal or cheat or support policies that harm the poor or encourage racial discrimination or demonize LGBTQ plus folks or asylum seekers or when they deny the dangers of climate change or defend dictators or actively make the COVID crisis worse. When the mentally ill wrong us, 
We don't excuse them, but we try to mitigate the harm they do, and we try to understand the reasons for their cruelty. Now, none of that helps the person who can't admit to doing anything wrong, but it could help you and me. That famous influential person I referred to had a horrible father. He was cold and mean and failed his son in many tragic ways. It illustrates the truism, the old truism, hurt people, hurt people. That brings me to more pastoral advice. Work on forgiving others because it helps you. It's a gift you give yourself. It becomes a process during which you can grow in compassion. Matthew Fox in one of his books tells about a mother he knew whose son, young son was killed in a tragic act of street violence. The killer was tried and sentenced to prison. Surprisingly, after some time, she felt compelled to start visiting him there. The troubled young guy about the age of her son. How did she do that? She found that getting to know him, connecting with his humanity, having the chance to tell him of the incredible pain she suffered due to his crime, she found that all of that was empowering. She went from hugging her bitterness to embracing him and learning to aim that compassionate energy not just at him, but at her own wounded heart. When you've been wronged so profoundly, when you can't even think about forgiving, you need time just to be angry, to rage against the injustices that you endured. But in time you realize that you can't heal without ultimately letting go of that. You begin to see that you have not truly been free. That the bitterness can control you instead of you controlling it. That's when anger turns to depression. And if you're lucky, you will encounter someone who has been wronged just as deeply as you have, but seems to have more peace than you ever thought possible. How can that be? And you hear advice and stories such as those in today's scriptures that encourage you to forgive from the heart. And you don't want to be a hypocrite saying that, your, that forgiveness is one of your moral values while holding on to all your grudges like a prized antique collection. So you're left with two choices. You can either pretend that you have forgiven your offenders, or you can just give up and honestly say, I can't do that. I can't forgive. Then again, if you're lucky, a kind person who has been on the same path of pain as you will say, it's true that you can't forgive. That requires accessing the power of the divine spirit that is within you. The simplistic way of saying this is, no, you can't forgive, but you and God, working together, can. 
It's sacred work. It can lead you to becoming so much stronger and wiser. Some time ago, the great mystic among us, Zella, preached to us about what Christ-like joy was all about. She told us that part of getting there is abandoning all hope of a better past. <laughs> abandoning all hope of a better past. That just might be the best definition of forgiveness you'll ever hear. Your thoughts?